0: What's going on ladies and gents, Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and today I have special guest Kyron Scray on. From the land down under, how are you, man?
1: Yeah, I'm really good, thanks, Robert.
0: Absolutely, man. I'm glad to have you on here. We've talked, we've been in communication mostly via Facebook for, shoot, probably about two years now or so, right?
1: Yeah, so I actually looked back to see when I first reached out to you, and it was in May of 2017, and uh, so, that's when I first dove into the keto journey, and I was just looking for some advice, and you were helpful enough to uh, respond promptly.
0: Well, it was definitely a, a an involved conversation we've had since then, man. I mean, you were constantly doing all kinds of self-experiments and blood tests and carnivore experiments and everything that you documented, so it was cool for me to follow along and kind of see what was working well for you and what wasn't.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, going into a completely new space in 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 regards to nutritional protocol, it's crazy. It's just like you go from one rabbit hole to another rabbit hole to another rabbit hole, and the more you dig, the more you find.
0: Well, what, what got you? I, I kind of like to get people's backstory on what got them intrigued in keto in the first place. Like, How did you even find out about it? Because you've been in the space for... A pretty good little while now, so you probably weren't privy to all the all the online forums and websites and social media sites that we have nowadays, so what, what got you intrigued in the first place?
1: Yeah, so we'll try and cut the story short, but I've been into fitness and health for quite a few years now, and it was actually a colleague of mine who first went ketogenic, and he was the ultimate alpha male, been training consistently for over 10 years with great results. And he dived into this ketogenic journey. And I was I was just watching like, like most of us. And I just saw the transformation within him. And I was like, it went against everything that I'd ever believed about nutrition and dieting, yet the results were what they were, which sparked my interest. And from that point on, I started to look into it and I embarked on the keto journey myself. And I got great results as well, I mean, I came from a background of general health anyway, no major health issues, yet on the ketogenic diet, I definitely enhanced my health and I just haven't been able to find a reason to go back. I mean, after that initial 16-week period where I got in the best shape I'd ever been in, I did go back to the carbs just for a few days to see what it was like, but like everybody who's been in the keto space for a while knows, it was pretty much day and night to how I felt like so from that point onwards I've been strict ketogenic for probably at least two years and yeah at the moment I mean I can't find a reason to to change
0: it's it's refreshing for me like I get all kinds of people on the podcast of all walks of life with all kind of nutritional protocols and recommendations but it's refreshing for me to talk with somebody that's been adapted strictly for as long as you have, because I feel like they're kind of a dime a dozen, like everybody's doing keto now, but very few people are doing it, you know, long term strictly, which is is kind of rare.
1: Yeah, it's interesting you say that because over this journey, like a lot of people have this stigma about the ketogenic diet and they believe that it's unhealthy. But if we just lead by example, at some point, it tends to spark people's interest and then that's when they'll start to ask questions. And I've had a lot of people reach out to me and ask for advice. And yeah, like you say, they tend to do the ketogenic diet for a period of time, get these great results, and then it's it seems like it's too hard for them to maintain, and they'll revert back to their previous dieting style, and it tends to lead to those results being reversed.
0: Yeah, I totally, totally agree, man. I mean, with... All the the different experiments that you've done, have you? I mean, you tax yourself. Like I see you train. I mean, you're not training lightly by any means. You're training very intensely. Have you noticed any? Um, like, have you had any any reason to to think that you could benefit from a from an increase in carbohydrates, whether that be targeted or cyclical, or you know, like a legitimate uh, you know phase of carbs. I just like for me I haven't noticed any benefit but I'm curious if you have.
1: It is definitely a talking point and it's something that I have been thinking about. Obviously, probably the the one style that would be an option would be the targeted keto because maybe some pre-workout carbs could enhance my workout and as you say like I'm training for strength and size if possible, but anything to enhance the performance may be beneficial, but I just haven't been able to to pull the trigger on that because I'm performing at my peak currently without the use of these targeted carbohydrates. And I feel that potentially my recovery is enhanced by keeping the carbohydrates so low. So I just haven't got to the point where I think I need it. So if if it comes to a point where my training doesn't enhance any further. That would probably be the time where I may start to introduce some pre-workout carbohydrates to see if that can then push the performance to another level.
0: Yeah, I'd be curious to see because I've got a theory that you know a lot of people that are are noticing a benefit with targeted carbohydrates, uh, and I think there is definitely a benefit for some people, and those people are generally the ones that are not you know extended. Like they're, they're not truly deeply adapted for extended periods of time, I feel. I feel like if you're kind of teeter-tottering back and forth and you're not really optimized on keto and then you intake some targeted carbs pre-workout, uh, you can definitely notice a benefit from those carbs. But I would argue that the longer and more deeply adapted you become, that inherent benefit becomes lessened. Uh, and is basically offset by the benefit of getting more deeply adapted.
1: Yeah, for sure. And like I've been training consistently for probably seven or eight years now, and I see people that say on the ketogenic diet, they they might struggle with a certain rep range in their workouts. I usually hear people say between 8 and 15 reps is, is hard because they don't have this glycogen or carbohydrate. But for me, mm-hmm. I mean... My, my rep ranges, my heavy day is three to six reps, and my light day is 50 rep sets. And every rep range in between, I'm continually improving. So yeah, maybe because I've been so strict for so long that I don't need any of these carbohydrates to benefit.
0: That's definitely my argument. I feel like when, I mean, there's, there's science to prove that the more adapted you are, the basically, you're able to replenish glycogen just as fast as if you were to consume carbohydrates. So from a glycolytic demand standpoint, I don't feel like there's any inherent benefit to the carbs. What's more is that the uh, ability to clear lactate in your blood enhances the more deeply adapted you are to ketogenic uh, dieting lifestyle. So I would argue that by being more deeply adapted to uh that lifestyle, ketogenic lifestyle, you're able to clear the lactate in your blood as you're training faster. So you're not gonna hit that um uh like you're not gonna get that burn that basically hinders your ability to perform a set to your maximum effort because you're able to clear that lactate more efficiently.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I've been following along with most things in the ketogenic space and we're lucky that it's at a time where people are willing to put in the research and because as we all know, most of the studies are only on a 12-week basis, which Mm -hmm. doesn't really even get you fat adapted. But it's good to see that there is some more studies being done at the moment on fat adapted athletes that have been on a ketogenic diet long term. So hopefully within the next couple of years, we'll see some strong evidence to support how we feel.
0: Yeah, it's it's, it's interesting for sure. I'm kind of on the verge of just taking things into my own hands from like a, you know, self experimentation standpoint, I want to get a a lactate meter so that I can test lactate as I'm training. I've already got the, the aura ring. I know you do as well. We're tracking that. Um, you know, I'm starting to track my workouts very religiously. I just want to get all this data because there's not any, as you said, really studies, there's not any significant volume of studies out there that are actually analyzing True, truly keto adapted athletes that have been adapted for years. Because I feel like there's a pretty significant difference in an athlete that's been adapted for, uh, you know, even six months versus a year or over. Um, I feel like you just continually get better the longer you are adapted.
1: Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, I mean, we're in a lucky time with the social media age. I mean, it's so easy to get information out there. And although it's an N of one experiment, it's still so easy to share, and then uh, many people can be inspired, and even then they can begin their journey.
0: Totally agree. It's it's especially if you have a you know a relatively respectable platform, and you know respect by your audience. You know, like as an influencer, I feel like that way of um, you know illustrating your findings, your research, your data is going to be more accepted and viewed by a larger percentage of the population than like, you know, having to dive deep into some research paper, most people are not gonna take the time to do that. So we as influencers have the opportunity to illustrate this information to a larger body of viewers. And that, that's both good and bad because you have some influencers out there that don't really know what they're talking about and people are getting a lot of bad information as well. But I feel like, you know, as long as the intentions are good, hopefully the, the positive will prevail.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I mean, if you get on Google and try and do some research, if you look hard enough, you'll find the answer that you want to find. But hopefully, after trial and error, you'll come to what works best for the individual.
0: Definitely, definitely. Well, dive into some of the experiments you've done, man. I mean, you've been doing this for several years now. So I remember seeing, you know, progress pictures of you when you were healthy, but not yeah, I wouldn't consider you lean and not long after that, I've seen pictures of you where you were just freaking shredded, ripped to the bone. So I know you've done all kinds of experimentations with regards to manipulating your cholesterol. Just kind of dive into some of the, the different things you've done over the past 24 months that really kind of has taught you a bunch and kind of formed the way you currently eat and train.
1: Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, we'll go back a little bit. In 2016 was when I had my most in-depth blood testing prior to going keto, and at that point, my bloods were all in the normal range, which was like I said before, I was generally considered healthy anyway, I have a healthy body weight, fairly active lifestyle, so there was nothing of concern. And then it was March 2017 where I went uh, ketogenic, and it was a standard ketogenic diet. It was probably carbohydrate, 20% protein and 75% fat with your meats, nuts, above ground green leafy vegetables, all that sort of jazz and uh, yeah I got some really good results initially in the first sort of three to four month period and that was when I first got my next lot of in-depth blood testing. Now the interesting thing was the doctor at the time was on board with the ketogenic diet and all my bloods came back within the normal range except for the cholesterol. Now in 2016 my cholesterol was 5.1 millimole which equates to about 200. And then in August of 2017 my cholesterol had risen to 475 which is actually 12 to 13 millimole. And the doctor at the time was like, this is bad. (laughs)
0: yeah they don't like to see that
1: yeah so and even for me at the time because i was such such a new space into this keto journey like i was like this is bad like i panicked but i mean then i started to do my research and i was thinking about things logically i was like i'm in the best shape i've ever been in every other blood marker looks great except for one cholesterol number which was the ldl cholesterol so down the rabbit hole we went and uh Yeah, basically, to cut a long story short, it seems at my leanest, which was after doing the uh, Deeper State Keto Protocol, my cholesterol had risen to an 800 total, which is 20 millimole, and the LDL cholesterol was at 600, which is basically unheard of. Yet, within further experimentation, I got a coronary calcium scan which looks for the calcified plaques within the arteries, and that was at zero. I had a CT angiogram, which looks at soft plaques within the artery walls, which are yet to calcify. And that came back all clear. So although my cholesterol was five times oh sorry, four times the recommended level, there was no cause for concern. And my my new current doctor who's a hundred percent on board with keto she doesn't have an issue with it
0: what i mean have you have you played around with anything specifically within the ketogenic diet as apart from just being keto as a whole but like you know played around with your fat ratios or, or any event that could have a a pretty significant influence on those numbers like what caused it to to increase that dramatically from the 400 to 600 was that just simply a that, that was during the time frame of you being the leanest?
1: Yeah, basically, so from the last two years of tracking the bloods uh, quite strictly, it seems for me, the leaner I am, the higher my cholesterol goes. And that's been the pattern that has been fairly consistent. I have um, adapted the diet. So in January 2018, I went full carnivore, which was a higher protein ratio. and. A lot of people get great results from going, going carnivore. But for me, I just found that that higher protein ratio, I was a lot hungrier. Some old aches and pains started to come back, and I actually gained weight and put on some body fat. So at the end of that period, my cholesterol actually reduced somewhat. I mean, it was still two to three times higher than the recommended level. But then reverting back to a keto carnivore approach with ninety five percent animal based and just coffee and MCT oil. That helped me get leaner again and I feel much better. I sleep less but have more energy. The mental focus is back. But yeah, the other side effect of that is the cholesterol goes back up.
0: What is your doc has your doctor said anything adverse to the cholesterol? Like just like keep an eye on it. Does she encourage you to like get some some standard testing done on a on a regular basis. Like, is she having any? Has she given any any direction whatsoever?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, because it's a n of one experiment, she hasn't dealt with anybody in the same situation of me, so it's intrigued her interest as well. But basically, after the CT angiogram and also the C reactive protein testing, which shows that the inflammation within the body is very low she's taken the stance of as of june your bloods are the best that they've been since we've been looking there's no point testing anymore unless you're planning on changing something
0: that's pretty good man i'm i'm like I like seeing and hearing about doctors that are kind of more on the uh, you know keto friendly side of things and are open minded to cholesterol it's not necessarily being a determining factor towards overall health
1: Yeah it's crazy but like I said before we're in the social media age where even the medical professionals are being made accountable. Once upon a time you would go to your doctor they would say you have high cholesterol you need to take this medication but nowadays we go home and we get on the internet and we look and we search and we find other people in similar situations that haven't had any issues and have improved their health without the need for these medications so you go back to your doctor and you have this discussion and i mean maybe your doctor will say oh no no that's that's not good you need to do this but it's like it's like it takes one drop to start a waterfall by the time the 10th person asks their doctor about this thing or the 100th person at some point the doctor will become intrigued themselves and they'll have to look into it and that's how it's going to change
0: totally agree ma'am. totally agree Dive into a little bit of the, I'm always curious to hear someone's opinion of the Deeper State Keto Protocol. You know, I'm obviously not paying you to to say any of this stuff, so whether good or bad, I'm all ears. But I'm curious to see what your opinion of it was and how you noticed your body responding simply from that protocol of having the higher fat ratio relative to protein. A lot of people are taking a keen interest towards like a one-to-one or higher protein and fat um but you seem to have done well with the higher fat ratio
1: yeah for sure and it's another conversation topic that's always debated how much protein do you need how much fat do you need and i think the biggest takeaway is everybody's an individual and you need to figure out what works for you best and as far as following the deeper state keto protocol the initial onboarding phase is great for that Because it definitely gets you to titrate those calories, those proteins and fats until you feel a change. And now it's difficult to understand, but you can definitely feel that change. And when you get to that point where you start to lose that mental focus, you start to feel a little bit foggy, you've basically met that protein threshold. And then from there, the program, the way that it's set up to taper those calories, it gives a really good uh, plan to follow. I think a lot of people that are in the dieting space, without that uh, plan, they're probably not going to get the best results they could. So with the Deeper State Keto Protocol, I found that just having that plan that was set in stone made it more sustainable.
0: Yeah, I feel like, you know, I'm I'm very much uh, instinctive eater when it comes to just the sustainability factor. I mean, I feel like The ketogenic diet as a whole makes eating intuitively you know exponentially easier I mean it's much easier because you're not having the the constant insulin spikes that are artificially you know causing a craving or you know artificial increase in hunger so for me eating instinctively is much much easier with keto however if I've got a specific goal in mind like if I'm trying to change my body composition especially under a certain timeline and I really would just want to remove the variables, pull out the stops, and, and reach that goal as effectively and efficiently as possible. I feel like tracking and having a strategy is absolutely the way to do it. Of course, some people just don't think that way, but for me, I can't imagine trying to be you know, detail-oriented towards a specific goal and have no game plan whatsoever.
1: Yeah, for sure. And you'll get the the 1% of people that can get really great results without tracking. But from what I've seen, if you're looking for an extreme result, then you need to take a certain amount of extreme measures. And yeah, tracking everything as closely as you can generally will get a better result.
0: Totally, totally. What Do you know what your body fat percentage got down to?
1: Uh, so that's another controversial one. Depending on what type of machine you use, it gives you um, many different readings. But I believe it was somewhere between six and seven percent. And prior to a keto diet, I'd be lucky to get to say eleven or twelve percent. And then the hunger was just too much. Diet's over. Floodgates open. Back to all the sugar.
0: Yeah, that that is definitely yeah yeah just a a downside to taking in a traditional carbohydrate-based diet. Like when you take your fat down that low, your leptin and ghrelin hormones are totally out of whack and it just becomes absolutely miserable to take in that lower calories for that amount of time and not have enough fat to keep your hormones balanced.
1: Yeah, for sure. And just to circle back around to the blood testing, I actually had these in-depth blood tests prior to my keto cut And at the end of the keto cut. And interestingly enough, at the beginning, my testosterone was above the chart. And after the 110-day diet where I lost, I think it was 12 to 13 kilos or say 25 to 30 pounds total, my testosterone had actually halved. And following the keto cut, I had an insatiable hunger for, I would say, six weeks. Where that leptin and ghrelin just took over, and I would just could not sustain the offboarding procedure.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, man. I feel like th- this is an area of interest that I am really diving deeply into because I don't feel like it's talked about enough. But when you restrict calories for that long, and you do so, you know, just very minutely, even just very slight adjustments over time, but by simply doing that your your metabolism is going to slow down and your hormones are definitely going to be affected. I feel like doing it the ketogenic way with the higher fat ratio is you know just tremendously healthier and more sustainable than a carb-based protocol. I feel like you know your your testosterone was cut in half for that time. But I would imagine it would be significantly worse had you followed a carbohydrate-based approach like I've I've been like I used to do the carb based approach and i never got the blood work done but just based off how i felt i mean i feel like it had to have been you know much much less than half of what it was when i started um and then the insatiable hunger man that that is definitely a reality too i feel like you're able to bounce back better with a ketogenic approach but again that's something i mean just simply taking calories down no matter what diet you're on that's going to be an obstacle to overcome for sure
1: yeah, definitely. And from what I've found with the ketogenic diet, I mean, the hunger is nowhere near the same level. So as far as dieting down to a lower body fat percentage, it's possible. Whereas on a carbohydrate-based diet, it was never possible for me to get that lean in the first place. So yeah, it just works out that way.
0: What do you do about um, like getting pumps in, in your, your training? Have you noticed any detriment to your ability to get a good pump versus what you're able to achieve with carbs? Because I feel like that's a pretty hot topic right now. And I feel based off of my experience that it basically just all comes to hydration and electrolytes and the level of adaptation. But have you noticed any anything counter to that?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting one. Definitely on a carbohydrate based approach, the pump would not be as noticeable for me because I would never be lean enough to really enhance that look. Whereas on the ketogenic-based approach, I could maintain a leaner physique year-round easier. And the pump, I think it's great. I mean, I take in a lot of salt. I'll take in four to 5,000 milligrams of salt a day, and I'll even put salt in my pre-workout drinks because... I think the electrolytes are a major player in as far as the pump goes, and I can definitely notice I'll get a much better pump if I've got a fair bit of salt in my diet.
0: How much water are you taking in a day? Do you have any idea? Uh,
1: So the water is one thing that I haven't really tracked, but um, what I can say is at the end of the keto cut, I was drinking upwards of seven liters a day. And that was having a detrimental effect as far as flushing electrolytes and causing cramps. Now, since then, I've actually cut back on water. And I would say I'm probably drinking three to four liters a day now. And I've noticed that the electrolyte balance must be better because the cramps that I was experiencing have no longer been an issue.
0: Did you notice when you were at the the, kind of the tail end of your cut, Did you notice any edema in your ankles, like any swelling in your ankles?
1: Uh, Not so much in my ankles, but I did notice at a certain time where I was manipulating sodium that if I went overboard on the sodium, say 6,000 to 7,000 milligrams, I would definitely feel pressure in my knees in the form of fluid. But apart from that, I didn't have any other issues.
0: There was a a period when I was doing my prep last. And I I think I was just over consuming water because I was just so hungry. So since I couldn't eat, I would just drink water to try and satiate myself. And I was definitely having that flushing of electrolyte issue, like you discussed, because I would just, like all my electrolytes were out of whack and I'd wake up some days and I would just have this massive swelling in my ankles from just holding water. Um, so I would have to kind of overcompensate the electrolytes to to ramp those up to kind of reach that equilibrium. But next time I do a prep, I'll definitely track water, especially that last month, especially if you got a show coming up. Like if you're wanting to peak for a specific event, you don't want to leave anything to chance. Um, you don't want to wake up the day of the show and have swelling in your ankles by any means. So I think tracking water in that instance is, is key for sure. I feel like most people are under hydrated, so... Most people don't need to concern themselves with drinking less water, but when you're at the depth of a prep and you're just trying to consume something, I feel like that's definitely a risky run.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think like you say, the more things you can track, the more things you can control. And yeah, if you've got a certain goal, then tracking everything as closely as you can is going to be beneficial. It just seems that in the keto space, you see a lot of people over consuming water to a certain extent and probably because it's a diet-related thing. I've seen that when you are hungry, you try and blunt that hunger by drinking excessive water, but it does seem to be having a negative impact at times, so it's something that people could potentially be thinking about, reducing that water intake to stop that flushing of those electrolytes.
0: Speaking of electrolytes, what are you using for electrolytes currently? I'm assuming just salt for sodium, but what about your potassium, magnesium, Um, calcium are you using a specific brand or anything that you would recommend there
1: yeah that's an interesting one like i've said i've been getting my bloods done regularly and on this keto carnivore approach that i take which i mean i'll break it down really simple breakfast is steak and eggs but lunch is bacon and eggs and then i'll have a few bulletproof coffees in between And that's my diet 95% of the time. Now, since taking on that approach, I haven't found a need to actually supplement with any electrolytes. Uh, Like the cramping has been minimal. I haven't found any um, need through my blood testing to add supplements. So basically, it's just salt at the moment, and I haven't had any issues.
0: How many eggs a day are you taking out on average, you think?
1: So I usually take in 10 egg yolks and then two whole eggs.
0: And maybe contributing to
1: your cholesterol a tad. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, but in saying that, at the end of the keto cut, when my cholesterol was at its highest, I was probably only consuming, say, four eggs a day. So it's come down since I've increased my eggs.
0: That's interesting. Very interesting. I need to... I mean, I feel like eggs are obviously a great source of, of all the nutrients. I mean, it's a complete protein. It's got everything you need in there. So I'm going to start incorporating more eggs for sure. Do you, I mean, you're in Australia. You've got all kinds of animals there. you eating just standard chicken eggs. you got like platypus eggs. What are you, what are you eating there?
1: Yeah, so I basically just go for the free-range eggs. Um, but in saying that, just thinking about like the electrolytes and vitamins and minerals I'm getting into my diet, I also try and make a bone broth every couple of weeks mm-hmm. and then I'll I'll even do the raw liver and I'll do some cooked liver as well every couple of weeks. So I'm potentially supplementing my diet with these highly nutrient dense foods anyway, which would be making up for any of the shortcomings.
0: What about um like your your timing? If you're doing two meals a day, what's like the timing breakdown type? When are you training? Are you having that steak and eggs meal like soon after waking?
1: Uh, It depends a little bit on the schedule. But in my perfect world, I'll get up early, train fasted, or probably just have a uh, bulletproof coffee pre-workout, then train fasted there. And then I'll have that steak and eggs meal within the next hour or two. And then I'll have my second meal at about 1 to 2 p.m and then I'll fast until the next morning. And
0: what are your macros breaking down to now, on average?
1: At the moment, I'm eating instinctively, so I'm not tracking, but I would say that it's about 3,200 calories with 20 to 25% of that coming from protein and 75 to 80% of that coming from fat.
0: And are you doing much fish at all? I know you didn't mention fish, but I've seen you out fishing and whatnot, and holding holding big fish up, so I assume you're eating a little bit of fish.
1: Yeah, so basically, I do a fair bit of scuba diving in the summer. If I'm lucky enough to spear a fish, I'll eat fish, but I'll rarely purchase fish because I just find that it's generally a lower fat content, and it doesn't satiate like a uh, steak will.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny, man. Most seafood, I mean, it's just incredibly lean, but I can eat just ad nauseum, and I don't ever seem to get filled up on seafood.
1: Yeah, it seems to be a common theme where your chicken, your fish, and your leaner types of meat just don't seem to satiate like the uh, higher fat meats do.
0: Totally agree. Let's talk about sleep, man, because you've, I I just recently got a weighted blanket. Um, I know you made a video on it, and you've been tracking your sleep and kind of manipulating things, but what are some things that you've done that you found to be effective in improving your sleep quality?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I got the Aura Ring at the end of last year. So I've been religiously tracking my sleep for the past, I would say, eight months now. And yeah, it was interesting to see how certain things affected. I mean, it, there's a lot of data, and I actually feel that a lot of those data points aren't as valid for me as they may be for some people but the biggest one yeah like you mentioned the weighted blanket I mean over the say January to June period I'd noticed that my deep sleep was declining and um, it, it appears to be that I, I transitioned from using a standard blanket to no blanket And it was a clear correlation that um, my deep sleep had decreased. And that's when I heard about the weighted blanket. So I went out, purchased a weighted blanket, and instantly my deep sleep was improved by 50%. And that trend has continued for the last three months. So from there, I've been trying to optimize the deep sleep even further. I mean, I've done things like mouth taping, which... Didn't really have much of an effect, but potentially it could help a lot of people. Uh, something else I've tried is compression wear. So for a month, I slept in compression wear to see if that would enhance the effects of a weighted feeling on the body. However, that didn't have any um, any improvement there either.
0: Did it have a noticeable effect on your REM sleep at all?
1: So the REM's an interesting one. I actually don't. Give too much value to REM sleep. And my REM sleep has remained fairly stable. In saying that, since January, the REM sleep has actually dropped off a little bit as well, but I've been able to increase the deep sleep.
0: Why do you not give much uh, weight towards REM sleep, just out of curiosity?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I haven't looked into it too much, but as I understand it, the deep sleep is for repair and recovery. So it's probably not that I don't give much credit to the REM sleep. It's just that I put more focus on the deep sleep.
0: Yeah, I feel like I'm totally backwards, man. Like I ask most people that have an aura ring what they're averaging, and they're almost always having significantly higher REM than deep, and I'm the exact opposite. I've always got higher deep than REM by at least double usually.
1: Yeah, I've been following your results there and have you noticed any difference with the weighted blanket because like you said your deep sleep is above average from what I can see anyway.
0: Yeah, when when I got the weighted blanket, my REM sleep doubled. My my deep sleep increased slightly, but it stayed pretty constant. Whereas my REM sleep doubled. Um I had a I had a little bit of an issue with just the heat of the blanket because that was I got like the 30 pound blanket, the heaviest one I had, but it's a large blanket, like it covers both Crystal and I. And I was just getting too hot under it. So I I dropped the temperature in the bedroom to like 60 degrees, which is pretty cold for most people. But with the weighted blanket, it actually works pretty nicely. But having it cold like that and having the weighted blanket, I'm able to get a pretty good night's sleep. And my sleep efficiency is relatively high. Like it's usually ob- above 90% if I'm doing everything correctly i think like last night i was at 95 percent sleep efficiency
1: yeah definitely and it's it's funny you mentioned the temperature because from what i've seen it's currently winter here and it's there's been some cold nights and definitely when that air temperature is colder my resting heart rate will be lower my respiratory rate will be lower and i'll typically will sleep better
0: yeah it's basically like hibernation man i've been tracking and my my total, uh, my average heart rate, even when awake, has all trended downward once I started improving my sleep quality. I mean, I think I clocked it the other day, and my average heart rate was like thirty eight or something crazy like that. Like <laughs> that's pretty that's pretty dang low.
1: Yeah, that's very low, and that's something that we we need to talk about as well. I mean, sleep in general, it's something that people don't put a focus on. I mean, I remember in the past, I used to pride myself on the fact that I could function quite well on five hours of sleep. And although I was functioning quite well, for sure, just by putting a focus on getting more total sleep, regardless of how that sleep breaks down, it has to improve things overall.
0: How many hours do you averaging on a day-to-day basis now?
1: So in January, when I first started tracking, I was at six hours and thirty-seven minutes total. And nowadays, I've been able to bring that up to about seven hours and ten minutes. So it's only another half an hour total. But like I said, it can't not be beneficial.
0: Yeah. See, I need to, I need to do something different, man, because my sleep <laughs> quantity is pretty pretty substandard. I'm normally going to bed at around ten or 11 and waking up at 3, and that is just not enough time to fully recover, no matter what you do.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I mean, we all get those times where it can't be helped, but as a rule, I generally try and put a focus on getting more sleep, and it's going to be one to two times a week where I don't get great sleep, but I just try and make probably that 80% rule. 80% of the time, get things right, and the other twenty percent of the time, it is what it is because just like diet, just like everything, you need to make it sustainable. If it's not sustainable, you're not going to be able to stick to it, and then that's not going to help you reach your goals either.
0: Totally agree, man. Totally agree. Do you do anything else as to, as far as like kind of setting the stage for sleep and and you know parasympathetic state? Like, do you meditate or anything like that?
1: Uh, Yeah, definitely. So the other major point that I haven't mentioned is my meal timing. Like I said, I usually have my last meal at 1 to 2pm. And what I've seen every time, if I have a late meal, a late large meal, my heart rate's increased by 10 to 20%. My heart rate variability decreases my respiratory rate increases, my body temperature increases, and generally my deep sleep decreases. So that meal timing is a big one. And then um, the other thing is I just take magnesium before bed, and I think that that has also helped with a little bit extra deep sleep.
0: How much magnesium?
1: Uh, So I take 250 milligrams.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, I need to start being more mindful of magnesium prior to bed. I feel like that would be advantageous for sure. I'm I'm tweaking my meal timing a little bit right now um, just to see how my body responds. I normally am able to fall asleep just fine with eating late. I actually feel like I fall asleep better, but I don't necessarily think that that equates to better quality sleep. Um, I mean, it makes sense that if you're trying to recover as you sleep, you don't want to tax your body further by giving it a meal to digest because um, that whole digestive process is pretty, pretty intensive. So I think I'm going to just try and titrate all my, or not titrate, but basically move all my meals up earlier in the day. Crystal's trying to do the same thing. She's going to try and get finished eating at noon, which I don't know if I can make it that early. But <laughs> any any time before bed is better than eating right before bed.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, occasionally I'll have a small meal later in the day, and it doesn't have as a negative impact. But if I have that large meal later in the day, and then if I add alcohol to that meal, then it definitely has a major negative impact on my sleep. Speaking
0: of alcohol, first of all, what kind of alcohol do you tend to incorporate with keto? Kind of limited.
1: Yeah, you are limited. I mean, if you're a beer drinker, there is there is a few low carb options in Australia but as I've gravitated towards this keto carnivore approach I've I've sort of moved away from that so nowadays basically if I'm going to have an alcoholic drink it'll always be before a rest day and it'll generally it'll be a whiskey or a vodka with a diet soda and that's basically my standard go to Very sometimes I may have a glass of red wine, but I've sort of gravitated away from that as well. Now,
0: do you try and have it on an empty stomach or do you try and have it with a meal?
1: Usually, the way it works out for me is it's generally a social event, so it'll typically be a dinner of sorts and then a few alcoholic beverages with that meal.
0: And what do you notice most predominantly with regard to like your sleep? Like, do you, does it have a noticeable um, spike on your aura data?
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, so a meal by itself will spike that resting heart rate by 10 to 20%. A meal with alcohol or excessive alcohol will actually spike that by 30 to 40% as far as the resting heart rate goes. The deep sleep will drop to next to nothing. The restlessness will increase. The body temperature will increase. It's just a negative impact across the board.
0: Yeah, that's that's not good. I feel like, you know, my alcohol consumption has dropped tremendously since I started even really being healthy. But every once in a while you got to kind of weigh your odds and see if it's worth it or not. You know, sometimes social events, having a glass of wine, I'll have a glass of wine with Crystal every once in a while. But inevitably... I just don't feel as good the next day. Like, I just don't feel like I'm performing optimally. Even if I only have one glass of wine, it's like that's just not what your body is designed to run off of.
1: It's a funny one because, like, we put so much effort into diet, training, fitness, health, and yet the alcohol is something that I just accept. I mean... I suppose it's about sustainability. I enjoy a drink with some friends every so often and I accept that I'm going to sleep poorly. But the way that I've been managing it, like I said, is I try and always make sure that will be before a rest day. But moving forward, as I try to push my performance to another level, there probably will become a point where I'll even reduce the alcohol as well to try and increase that performance.
0: What about uh, like sweeteners or you that know, that even non-caloric um, you know even natural sweeteners like stevia monk fruit have you noticed any impact on your your data with that
1: That's uh, an interesting one I mean I typically as far as sweeteners go it's only when I drink um, the diet sodas and I haven't and I generally only drink the diet sodas when I'm having the alcohol so I haven't been able to, Get a baseline on that one.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. That makes sense. That makes sense. Well, what's the next experiment, man? You're all, you're always doing something. What's the next thing in the pipeline as far as, you know, self-experimentation, compositional goals, you're trying to lean out, trying to build muscle. What's your what's your future looking like?
1: Yeah, so what's coming up for me? I've actually got a few small holidays planned, but I'm in a strength building phase at the moment. So I'm hoping to push some personal bests in the next month or so. And then up until Christmas, like I said, there's going to be a few holidays, but next year I'm planning on doing a powerlifting competition, hopefully in the first half of the year, and then I'll follow that up with a bodybuilding prep in the second half of the year. Those dates haven't been confirmed yet. I'm still trying to schedule that, but that's basically my plan as far as strength and keto go in the next 12-month period.
0: So you'll probably just ramp up calories as you're preparing for your power lifting and then have a pretty good starting point to be able to titrate them down for the bodybuilding?
1: Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I mean, I've been eating in a calorie surplus for most of this year now, but to continue to try and build strength and size, I think that'll probably be the best approach. Now that my hormones have regulated and they're back to their normal baseline, I think the next six months I should be able to put on a little bit of size and some strength, and like you say, that'll set me in good stead as far as the prep goes towards the end of next year. Do you
0: notice, uh, as far as like the powerlifting goes, and like just building strength in general? Do you like how do you structure your uh, progressive overload with a given compound lift, like like squats, for instance? How do you structure, you know, gradually titrating that weight up and not overly taxing any joints or anything. So they're basically able to grow and build muscle while still pushing, uh, you know, more and more weight progressively.
1: I've kind of come up with my own program that I've been doing for, say, nine months now. And it's basically a four-week cycle where week one will be your standard, say, 15 to 20 reps for all sets. And then progressive overload so increase the weight and try and get that 15 to 20 reps like a four a four set workout for the squats then the following week will be an 8 to 12 rep workout range same again the following week will be a three to six rep workout range and then the following week will be a three to six rep reverse pyramid but So on my heavy days, I'll just do a few reps as I warm up, a few reps as I warm up. Then when I get to my heaviest set, I'll go for as many as I can on that one. And then drop a bit of weight, go for as many as I can. Drop a bit of weight, go for as many as I can. And I find that approach doesn't seem to tax my central nervous system too much. And it's a four-week cycle, so every four-week cycle is typically stronger and the last four-week cycle.
0: Gotcha. That makes sense. Are you doing, um, like, how much are you increasing the weight with each four-week cycle?
1: Uh, it's minimal. I mean, like you would know, if you've been training for a consistent period of time, I mean, in, uh, say, in February, I hit my one-rep maxes and then... This October, I'm planning to hit one rep maxes again, but we're talking on the deadlift, probably a 20 pound increase in that six month period.
0: See, this is this is interesting, man, because I feel like a lot of people uh, they they get bored with whatever they're currently doing, whether it be their nutrition or their training. They just assume that it's not working anymore. But the the longer you train, the longer you st- stick with anything, really. the The less your body's going to, uh, like change noticeably. Change like it's, it's um when you first get into fitness, you have that beginner gain, so to speak. But then the more muscle maturity you have, like it, you can't just continually exponentially grow and get stronger at the same rate that you did when you first started. That's such just such a, a shock to your body. But the the more mature you are as a lifter, you know, the more accepting of the fact that you're not gonna have you know, 100 pound increase in max reps or max weight, you know, over a 12 month period. So getting excited about, you know, five pound increments is a pretty big deal.
1: Yeah, definitely. And especially as a natural athlete, it's going to be so much harder again. I mean, between October 2017 and February 2019, I think I increased my deadlift by Maybe 40 pounds, and that was with a very strict training and dieting regime. And like, I'm stoked with that. But going on from here, I understand it's probably going to be slower and slower to get those increases.
0: Yeah, but I mean, that's it's cool to know that if you're doing it right, you're doing it natural, you're setting yourself up for long term success, and you're doing it in a healthy, sustainable way. I mean, that's you know while it may seem like a very small increase in weight if you make that kind of adjustment you know every every year just a little bit more a little bit more i mean that's why i'm so excited about bodybuilding and you know really kind of diving deeper in nutrition i mean it's truly the fountain of youth like with most sports you start to see a decrease like you the older you get you just start losing your ability to perform whereas with bodybuilding and strength training it's like your, your body almost just prefers the muscle maturity. Um, there's a different look to it. There's a different performance to it. As long as your joints and everything are healthy, which obviously you can you know mitigate any injuries by proper nutrition and proper training, but you can get excited about those just small incremental improvements year after year after year.
1: Yeah, definitely. And for me, the training is something that I enjoy. So it's, it's easy and it's all about beating my previous workout. So I have a certain amount of dedication. But yeah, moving forward, I don't see any reason to not be able to get stronger over the next few years, that's for sure.
0: Are you tracking your workouts with a specific app or anything?
1: I have looked at apps a little bit, but I haven't been able to find one that suits me. So currently, I just actually write the workout down in my notes and then yeah, every corresponding workout four weeks later, I can see what I did the previous four weeks and what numbers I need to beat.
0: Yeah, the, the workout tracking app marketplaces is, is filled with apps that just don't have the features that we're looking for. I'm using one now that I actually like quite a bit. It's called Rip Count, but simply having ability to track those lifts is exciting for me because for years, I just trained instinctively. like I never tracked anything. So I'm starting to get into actually tracking the workouts and kind of being a little bit more structured with that as I am with everything else.
1: Yeah, and I'm the same. I mean, I have to track my workouts because I want to know what, what I want to beat next time. And I can look back probably anywhere in the last two years and pretty much tell you what I did at that period in that time. That's
0: awesome, man. Well, I'm excited to, to keep following along and seeing what you have going on because you're so detail-oriented to the manipulations you're making and just tracking that over time. So it's exciting to see the the findings you, you, you know, come up with because they're, they're structured. Like there's a strategy behind it. There's a control for the different variables. Like, you know what you're doing there. So keep doing what you're doing for sure, man. I'm excited to keep following along.
1: Yeah, definitely. And that's what it's all about. Like we all just share our journey. I mean, People see the results, they become interested and then the flow on effect is they can potentially improve their health, improve their training. So it's great to be able to just share what I've done and hopefully it continues to help other people improve themselves.
0: hundred percent, man. That's what it's all about. That's where all the fulfillment in this space comes from is being able to add some type of value and seeing other people benefit from it. I mean, that's, that's what it's all about.
1: That's it, and um, I really appreciate the opportunity to come on and have a chat and um I'll continue to follow you as well because I'm very interested to follow along with your experiments and see if I can't implement some of those things into my own lifestyle.
0: Well, I certainly do appreciate it man it's it's pretty cool to be able to talk with you on a podcast now because like i said we we've been kind of communicating corresponding for for years now, and we just just now get the podcast so long long overdue, but I'm glad we're getting it in um and i'm definitely excited about the experiments. i've got a few big ones to come. so, we'll both be we'll both be doing a few few different tweaks here and there, so we'll we'll learn from each other.
1: Yeah, i look forward to it. Um do you have a date set for your next prep? Ooh, i do.
0: I do. I just have not come out and made it public yet, but it uh, is getting closer and closer.
1: <laughs> all right. Well, i'll i'll stay tuned because i'll be interested to follow along.
0: I'm i'm definitely excited about it, man. It's uh, it's about time for me to to you know, dust off the, the prep vibes and get get to work again. It's it's been, it's been a long time coming for sure.
1: Yeah, but I think you're right in taking that time because from what I've seen with the hormone rebound, it does take quite a while for your body to reset. So taking that extra time as a natural athlete, I think it'll only be beneficial come stage time. Totally agree, man.
0: That cannot be understated because that, is just crucial. I see so many people you know, trying to rebound and go right into another deficit, you know, if just a few months after the last, which is just not healthy, not sustainable, not what your body needs. So, I mean, taking, you know, a couple of years off even is, is good, is advantageous for sure.
1: Yeah, definitely. And that's like, I went through that rebound, yo-yo sort of cut, bulk, cut, bulk rep. And I mean, that's why I've taken a, Decent amount of time before I'm planning on cutting again because I just think that'll be a better package at the end of the day.
0: Yeah, it definitely will. will. And I mean, you were able to get really lean. So, like, the leaner you get, the more important it is for you to have that, you know, length of time to recover. So you're definitely doing the right thing there. Um, I'm excited to see what the next, what the next package brings with you coming in even sharper than last time. I have no doubt that you'll be leaner than you were before.
1: Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, I've never done an actual prep before, so just having that that goal and that um, stage at the end will give me the – it'll make, make it so much easier.
0: We'll definitely document that journey, man, because that'll be one worth watching for sure. Yeah, definitely. What, uh, what What's your Instagram? Where can people go to find out more and, and just follow along, brother?
1: Yeah, so the Instagram is where I'm most active, I suppose, and it's just Keto Down Under. And I just share basically training, nutrition, and any sort of experiments that I do. Um, I've got a little bit of a YouTube channel, which is the same Keto Down Under and a Facebook page. But um, yeah, Instagram is where I'm most active.
0: Awesome. I'll link it out to those for sure. Uh, one final question for you. What are the macros on kangaroo? I had a client in Australia, they were, I'm just trying to <laughs> formulate a meal plan for them based off of kangaroo, and I have no idea what the macros are.
1: So the kangaroo macros, it's very lean. It's not a fatty meat. I would say it's a lot like the deer. So mm. yeah, as um, per 100 grams, I would say it's about 30 grams protein, probably five grams fat. Something like that, so it's generally not a meat that I would uh, recommend unless you're adding a bunch of fat to go with it. Gotcha, gotcha.
0: That's kind of what I figured, just based off of what I could find on Google. But I've never eaten kangaroo, so I feel like you'd be the one to know.
1: Yeah, well, it's a it's a different taste, but I have enjoyed it. And um, but yeah, on my current dieting style, it doesn't really fit in at the moment.
0: Very cool. Can't beat good old fatty red meat. It's hard to hard to beat that.
1: Yeah, definitely. A good ribeye steak. I mean, people say, how do I do what I do? And it's because I feel and perform at my best and I've never had a steak that I don't enjoy.
0: Yeah, 100%, man. That should be a t-shirt or something. Yeah. Well, Kyron, obviously, man, I've certainly enjoyed the conversation. I appreciate the friendship. Keep doing what you're doing and definitely keep in touch. If there's anything I can ever do to help, man, definitely don't hesitate to reach out.
1: Yeah, definitely. And same for you. Thanks again for the opportunity, and hopefully we can help somebody else improve their health.
0: 100%, man. That's what it's all about. Take care, brother.